This is an ABC podcast. So finally, Coronacast is coming with some news that people have been waiting for for a really, really long time, Norman. No, it's not about vaccines or about treatments or anything like that. It's about whether or not Dr. Norman Swan has decided to re-enter a gym. And the answer is yes, I went back to the gym. Boy, was that a shock to the system. <laughs> I bet. What clinched your reason? Like, there are people who are really interested to know whether you were because they wanted to know if it was safe for them. So what was what made it safe for you? So I was on the, I was on the brink, you know, I thought, you know, I really can't hang out much longer. And then, like you, I'm on the East Coast and it is, to be blunt, pissing down. A bit wet. I couldn't go out for a run and I'm getting fed up doing my own exercises at home. So I thought... Today's the day, and I went. Well, I'm in, uh, I'm in isolation Im- imposed by weather, not viruses at the moment, so I am working out at home. So my how, the, my how the tables have turned. Yeah, indeed. So I did a full session, you know, elliptical, bicycle, and rowing. I did a 2K ERG. Well, let's get into it today, Norman. Coronacast. Yeah, not Jimbocast, but Coronacast. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. Well, I'm physician and very far from being an athlete, Dr. Norman Swan. It is Monday, March the 7th, 2022. And so one of the big mysteries of the coronavirus since its very inception has been where it came from. And there's a not small group of people who've wondered whether it was uh, an escape from a lab, perhaps on purpose or perhaps by accident. But there's a couple of new research papers that have been published that really are starting to put this theory to bed. One of the authors on both of them was our friend Eddie Holmes, evolutionary biologist and virologist from U- the University of Sydney, one of the global experts on uh, the virology of SARS-CoV-2. And Norman, you spoke to him for the health report this week on what these two papers found, but can you give us a little recap of why this is still a question? Well, it's still a question because the Chinese have been less than forthcoming about their data, very defensive about this. And when you're defensive and less than transparent, people think about plots and where, what it might have happened. It's also plausible that it could have come from the lab. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is a very good institute of virology. And they were doing studies of coronaviruses because they were surveying their environment. And they were also wondering what would make a virus into a pandemic virus. And they were doing gain-of-function studies, which means they were genetically manipulating the virus to see what would be the genetic signature, in a sense, of amping up the virus. But they weren't doing that in secret. They were doing it with American researchers. This research was published. And this isn't the only place in the world where this sort of research is done, is it? No, gain of function is done all over the world. The dangerous studies because if the virus is released, you've got a problem. So it's not it's not bio warfare. It wasn't secret. The genomes of these viruses were well known. And when you look at the research that was being done, there's no trace back to the lab in terms of the the genomics. It's still possible. But these two papers, which, by the way, are not yet peer-reviewed, really do go into this in a lot of detail. They go into the variants that seem to emerge in November, December 2019. They also go into the geography and tracing it. And they also did something that science does, which is not to try and prove, in this case, that it came from the Hunan seafood market and the live animal market, in Wuhan, they actually set out to disprove that. And every time they tried to disprove it, they kept on leading back. So I'll just give you the spoiler now. Their conclusion is that really every road leads back to the seafood market and not just the seafood market, as you'll hear. So let's have a listen to this interview I did with uh, Eddie Holmes. So what we, what we tried to do was really get the best 
taste data we could. So all the, the geographic locations of the people infected early on in Wuhan, particularly from December 2019, that's the first day we have, through into January and February 2020. And then we basically you plot that on a map and then you do lots of analysis to say, right, where does the, the clumping of the cases, is there a kind of hot spot if you can see transmission? And if there is, where does that hot spot correspond to? And if you do that, that analysis, what you see very, very clearly is there is a hot spot, and that hot spot is the Hawaiian market, seafood market. It's right there. And then if you look then in Jan, that's in December, look in January and, and February next year, the hot spot's kind of gone. So that you can see the virus moving from that initial point of point of origin, the market, out across Wuhan. And it's rather like if you if you throw a pebble into into a pond, where it lands is then you see the ripples as it moves away. And that's kind of how the virus spread it, spread then in January and February away from the market. Now, there's all sorts of potential confounders. I mean, the first one is the reliability of the data because everybody's been complaining that the Chinese haven't been giving up their, giving up their data. Yeah, look, obviously there are, there are, there are confounders and we, we try to control that as much as possible. So one, one thing is, well, people said, well, maybe around the Hawaiian and maybe that's where people who are more elderly live. And of course, we know that elderly people had more, more severe disease. So maybe that's biasing it. So we try to control for that. We did lots of kind of random sampling, lots of kind of ways, very clever ways. Actually, it wasn't me. I actually did this bit too cleverly, but to try and control for kind of biases in the data. And the data is what it is. And on the data we have, there really is a very, very strong location coordinates to that market. And even more, the next bit we did is we looked at within the market. Yeah, this was the so, astounding bit. It actually was, you found that it concentrated on the western side of the market where the live wild animals were being sold. Yeah, this is really quite extraordinary. So the market, in your mind's eye, the market is like a very big covered market, okay? And it's this in two sides, the western and the eastern side. And it's like a road between the two. I've actually been to this market. It's my photographs are in the paper. And on the western side, that's the air, the side that where the wildlife were being sold, particularly in the southwestern corner, kind of bottom corner market. And that's kind of where, when I was there in 2014, I actually took photographs of these things called raccoon dogs. These very strange kind of animals that are fur farmed in China. And they were there being sold illegally in the western side of the market. If you then take, so what they did in, in, when they closed the market, they swapped lots of surfaces to look for the virus, like, like we've done, you know. And just to explain, the Chinese at the time thought that's where it was starting from. Yeah, they thought that was where it was from. So they did lots of swabbing. And if you then plot, so it's like the, market, like the analysis of Wuhan, but now a micro scale, if you then plot where the positive cases are in the market, they're clustered exactly in the southwestern corner where the wildlife were. And the most amazing thing of all is there was one store that had five positive results. For example, inside an animal cage, one of the hits. That's the very store that I photographed in 2014 as containing a raccoon dog. And also the drain below it was also positive for virus. So it's really quite an extraordinary coincidence. Now, the other thing that in the second paper, or maybe the first one, you found that there were at least two events where the virus spread with two different versions of the same virus. I mean, that seems that's extraordinary. Right. And, that, and that's really, I think that's a really key information that you mentioned in your introduction, how it kind of rules out the, the laboratory scale. And this is really the key thing that does that. So we're all used to the variants of concern, Omicron, Delta, whatever, and they all have technical names, the B1 something, B2 something. The earliest split happened in Wuhan. It's between the A and the B lineages. That's what they're called. It's the earliest division in the kind of family tree of, 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 of SARS-CoV-2. 
that division happened right at the start in December 2019 in Wuhan. Now, we've known for a while that the market cases were the B lineage, okay? That's the one that took over globally. That's the, the Omicron's a B lineage virus. So we knew that was in the market. Other people have said, well, maybe you forgot about the A1. A1 may have evolved somewhere else in Wuhan. In fact, it may have come out of the lab and then given rise to the B1. That was kind of like the idea people were pushing. What we can now show, in fact, is that A lineage is also in the market. Not only is it in the market, guess what? It's up from the western side of the market as well, where the animals were. If you believe a lab escape, what you've effectively got to believe then is that there were two jumps in the lab into that market, okay, which seems astronomically unlikely, particularly because it's a live animal market. It's exactly the place that you would expect a virus to emerge. And that's what you can see. So, so I understand what you're saying there about the lab event, but it still does my head in that you've got two vi- you've still got to postulate two viruses in the, uh, regardless, even coming from the countryside, from a bat arriving in the market, or is one the mother virus and one the daughter virus? So I, th- I don't think that's as, 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 as unlikely in nature as you might think. So I, well, I think my, my best case scenario, or my best guess right, for what I think would have happened, was that there was a population of animals brought into that market, maybe raccoon or anything else, I don't, who knows, that were infected. And they carried a diversity of strains. And that's exactly what happened back in SARS-1 in 2002-2003. The early animals, this happened in Guangdong province in southern China, the civets and also raccoon dogs, they had a diversity of strains. So I think I think there was a an outbreak in these in these wildlife animals. They've got a diversity of viruses, and they more more than one got into humans. And another thing we did in the second paper is we worked out exactly when these events took place. And it looks like the B lineage came first, and we think that was probably in early December 2019, no earlier than late December, late November. So probably early December for the B lineage, and the A lineage came later. We think maybe mid to late December 2019. So it all kind of fits very well. And just finally, this emphasises what we were talking about a few weeks ago, which is to control future pandemics, we've got to control the wildlife trade. Yeah, to me, this is like number one or two on on our kind of hit list. I think number one has to be climate change because the more climates change, the more animals group together, virus will will jump between them. And people will change their subsistence because of changing climate. And they'll interact more with wildlife. They'll cut down pristine forests. They'll get exposed. That's number one. Number two is the live animal trade these animal markets, and I've shown you some other papers, they are, these animals carry lots of viruses and they're shedding viruses from their nose and their feces. People are handling these ungloved. I mean, it, it is a biosecurity risk. And so we have to very strongly regulate this or not, if not stop it completely, because to me, it's, a, it's an accident waiting to happen. So that was Professor Eddie Holmes from the University of Sydney. Okay, so one of the things that stood out to me in that though, Norman, was that it, it doesn't say that it didn't originate in the lab like it could have come into the markets from the lab yeah and that's what people argue is the lab's not that far away from the market and therefore it could have escaped from the lab through poor security somebody carried it in and spread it in the market um eddie did address that during the um during the interview essentially how do you explain that it's not just the market as a whole which is the source it's actually the live animal part of the market on the Western side, even down to individual cages. You'd have to um, assume that somebody went from the lab and petted one of the live wild animals 
in the cage to have given it to them and then it spread from that live animal. And the other aspect, which again Eddie briefly addressed, which is that there were two zoonotic events, at least two, and you would have to assume then that there were two escapes from the lab. Nothing, none of that is impossible, but according to Occam's razor, the, that law which says in science you, always, you don't try and invent the most complicated reason, you look for the most obvious and simple reason, and the most obvious and simple reason for this pandemic spreading from the live food market is that somebody brought a live animal in which was infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and they'd been probably infected from a bat. Occam's Razor, the name of another excellent ABC podcast. Presented by somebody we know quite well. (laughs) Indeed. Find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. So does this put the whole story to bed now, Norman, or is this, as is always the case in science, like an incremental journey? Well, in my view, it shouldn't put it to bed because the possibility that new pandemics could come from a lab is real and could happen in the future. So just because it probably didn't happen this time doesn't mean it won't happen next time. And all you need is a terrorist with a biology, a master's in biology and a couple of hundred thousand for dollars for a biology lab. They could edit the genes in a known virus like smallpox and create a pandemic situation. So labs in the future could be a serious source of this. And therefore, just because it might not have happened this time, doesn't mean the risk doesn't exist next time. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Join us on Wednesday if uh, the Tasmanian cable doesn't get cut again. See you then. <laughs>